You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. All right. Uh, well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for the first edition of The Guidepost. My name is Willie Goldsmith, and I'm the executive director of the American Saltwater Guides Association. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with ASGA, we're a coalition of recreational fishing guides, small businesses, and conservation-minded anglers who really find greater value in the long-term abundance of stocks rather than simply maximizing harvest. Uh, we're committed to the concept of better business through conservation, and really believe that a precautionary approach to fisheries management uh, that's based on the best available science provides higher quality fishing opportunities for all of us uh, that bolster, bolster the recreational fishing economy. And I'm here today with Tony Friedrich, who is ASGA's Vice President and Policy Director. Uh, Tony, anything you'd like to add? Absolutely. Thanks for the intro, Willie. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the first edition of The Guidepost. As Willie said, my name is Tony Friedrich, and I'm the Policy Director for ASGA. Uh, John McMurray and I started the Guides Association about two years ago because there is really no unifying voice for the recreational community on the East Coast uh, that advocates for the resource. Uh, bottom line is we believe if the resource is healthy and we put that first in our management decisions, then pretty much everything else works out. Um, that's that's who we are. That's what we do. We thank you guys for joining the podcast. And today we are here to talk about striped bass, because for those of you who have been following along, uh, there is a lot going on right now with striped bass management. Last year in uh, summer of 2020, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission started Amendment 7. Uh, this is a process that uh, could potentially redefine how we manage striped bass along the Atlantic coast. And Tony, uh, given that you've been involved in this fishery for for over two decades, um, you know, in the, in the management side, uh, maybe you can give a little bit more kind of context into how important what the next couple months are going to bring is for the future of striped bass. Yeah, thanks, Willie. So the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission initiated an amendment. And to put this in perspective, the last amendment that we've had was in 2003. Uh, that was Amendment 6. We are now going into Amendment 7. These are really comprehensive uh, shifts in management strategy. This one is actually covering nine separate things. Uh, it starts with fisheries goals and objectives. It's going to look at stock rebuilding timeframes management triggers, biological reference points, regional management, recreational discard mortality, conservation equivalency, which we all collectively hate, recreational accountability, and coastal commercial allocation. One of the most challenging things about this amendment is it is so comprehensive. And I think one of the drivers for us starting this podcast is to give the average fisherman uh, an inside view of what this document could do to management, why it's important that you comment, and a basic understanding of where it's going and, and who the players are. So 
in the interest of time, I think it probably makes a lot of sense for us to jump into it because we don't want to, we don't want this podcast to go on for two hours. Um, real quick on the timeline, Willie, I think folks need to understand this as well. So the public information document is really just one more step down the road in the amendment. So in, uh, in February and April, the public will have an opportunity to comment on this document. Final comments are due on April 9th at 5 p.m. In May, the Stripe Ass Management Board is going to review the public comment and direct the plan development team to develop a draft amendment. From May to September, that, uh, that prep for the draft amendment will, in, will, will be supplemented with input from the technical committee and the advisory panel. Then that takes us to October, where the board will review the draft amendment and then from no and and consider approving it. If it's approved from November to January, we'll have public comment on the draft amendment. And that's where the rubber hits the road. So right now, what we're talking about is this public uh, information document, the PID. And and the comments are important on this because we're shaping what the amendment will look like. And then from and then the amendment is is how striped bass management will change, and and like any change, this could go good or this could go really really bad. So Willie, um, if you wanna if you wanna tell the listeners what our probably greatest concerns are with this document, uh, if you just wanna pick one, you know we've talked about it. I don't know, probably for the last three days, probably 30 hours, <laughs> we've been on the phone talking about this thing. So, uh, so yeah, w- what's your greatest concern in this, Willie? Yeah, Tony, I think, you know, it's important to step back for a minute and just think about what's going on with striped bass and kind of the broader context uh, under which this amendment is happening. So, you know, we're dealing with a stock that's at a 25-year low. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, the, the, the spawning stock biomass declining over the, over the past several years. Um, and you know, we're not in a great place. I think a lot of, a lot of folks listening up and down the coast have, you know, seen fewer striped bass around, uh, you know, we've got a couple of good, good year classes, but, um, you know, really not the quality of fishery that, that, that we depend on. Um, that, that's a problem. And I think the idea that we're kind of looking at fundamentally revamping striped bass management at a time when the stock is in, you know, that condition and in need of immediate action uh, is a little bit concerning to a lot of people. Uh, it seems like, you know, the, the, the most immediate steps should be about rebuilding the stock, not about, you know, thinking about the, these, these longer term management objectives. So then kind of writ large for us, that's a, you know, that's a big concern. I mean, we should be focusing on rebuilding the stock. Uh, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission uh, requires um, stock the striped bass stock to be rebuilt within 10 years of being declared overfished. Uh, the clock's ticking on that. The stock assessment came out in April 2019. So we've got till 2029. Uh, and this strikes us as a potential way to kick the can on that rebuilding down the road. Uh, if this process, you know, as it will, carries into 2022, then we're nearing a new stock assessment update, which might restart that clock back to 10 years again. And then we won't be, you know, on a path to recovery until maybe 2032. So there's a kind of a lot of broader issues here that we have concern with um, that are more about the context in which the amendment is taking place rather than what's actually in it. Uh, that being said, we definitely have 
you know, some serious concerns with what's in it. There are some opportunities to to improve striped bass management, as you talked about with, with conservation equivalency. Um, but I think if we had to point folks to the one main issue to focus on here that's, that's really uh, concerning to us, it's issue two, which is the biological reference points issue. Um, so right now, striped bass, kind of the, the goalpost, which is what we, you know, refer to as reference points uh, for a healthy stock is where we were in 1995. When we had a lot of fish around. We had a broad age structure, which is really important for, for spawning, for spawning success. Um, and so we have that as the threshold for a, for a, you know, for a stock to not be overfished. And then the target is 125% of that value. So that's, that's, you know, that's where we want the fishery to go. It's certainly ambitious, but we don't think it's unachievable. And again, for a species that has such a high recreational value for folks who just want to go out and catch a fish. And, you know, the great thing about striped bass is that when they're abundant, anybody can catch them. You can catch them. I, I grew up catching striped bass behind the TD garden in downtown Boston, flinging storm shads off a, off a, off an old rusty bridge when they'd come in there to feed on river herring in the spring, you know, as a 12 year old kid. I mean, when the stock is in good condition, uh, you can, you know, you can go get a cheap rod and reel and a, and a couple lures and have a chance to catch really awesome fish. And I think that's, that's where we should be striving to go with this fishery. And there's definitely a concern that, you know, the, this idea of revisiting this reference points, uh, conversation, we don't really have, you know, there, there's no kind of unbiased way of looking at this right now. There's no model based reference points. It's really what are called empirical reference points, which is basically, you know, pick a year, pick a time when, when the fishery seemed good to you. And use that as 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 a as a yardstick for success, and we don't want to see that change because the only way we, we would see that change is going downward, meaning that you know we're going to accept a, a less healthy stock as as our target, and we just don't want to see that. And Tony, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that point, or if there are other elements as well that, that you see as really concerning in this uh, in this amendment. Yeah, let's let's kind of take a step back, Willie, and just catch everyone up. Um, awesome, awesome information there for everyone. We're in a situation now uh, to to kind of put it in a little bit more basic terms where in 2003, when we did the last amendment, the stock was very healthy. And you look you look at the stock in a different lens then and and you're able to kind of take everyone's considerations uh, a little bit more. I don't know if seriously is the right word, but. You know, everyone's voice is going to be heard when the stock is healthy. But when you're 25% below the management threshold, lowest stock levels in 27 years, the the, the numbers are plummeting, um, and, and then you initiate an amendment, you're not in a good place. Because essentially, the folks that want to continue this unsustainable harvest are going to try and lower that goalpost. I mean, just consider it like a water quality standard. Um, if, if a municipality can't meet a water quality standard, one of the easiest things to do is to lower the standard. And then you can tell everyone that you met it. So that's kind of where we are with the reference points. And, and, you know, we support the best available science in striped bass management. We're tied to that theme uh, forever, but there's an absence of stock recruitment relationship. So what that means is that striped bass are more dependent on cer a certain set of conditions for their spawn for it to be successful rather than how many fish are in the water. Striped bass spawn in four waves. The biggest female spawn first and the smallest female spawn last. 
And that's a survival strategy that Stripe Bass have developed over eons to where one of those waves has a decent chance of hitting the right conditions, which are, which is, you know, high water, clean water, uh, cold water. So that, so those larvae can survive and, and they have, they have food for their first couple of weeks of life. So when we picked 1995 as a, as a reference point, um, the reason why we picked it, it wasn't arbitrary. You know, some folks will say it is arbitrary, but it was an appropriate year because the, there was an abundance of fish and there was a broad age range structure. So all four of those waves had a decent population of fish to give them the best chance to spawn. And you'll hear some folks saying, oh, well, we should pick 1993 and, or, um, you know, that, that this, this empirical reference point, they just pulled a year out of their hat and it's unattainable. Well, that's not true. We picked 1995 because that was the year that striped bass were declared to cover recovered. There was a broad age range and the population was on an uptick. So it's a little disingenuous for the folks who want to lower those goalposts to pick 1993 because there wasn't as broad of an age range, a, a, a population structure dynamic, number one. Number two, they weren't recovered at that point. Now, number three, if the same people are saying 1995 is arbitrary, 1993 is arbitrary as well. And, and, and the bottom line is the science does not support us picking biological true stock assessment based biological reference points. We have what we have. So again, um, we just see this as an effort to lower those goalposts and, and the direct impact to y'all as fishermen is that there will forever be light, less striped bass in the water. And, and I think collectively we all want more striped bass in the water. It's what's best for everyone. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where we are with the reference points. Our position on them is that we believe that 1995 is an appropriate reference year. And we recommend that it is unchanged. And as a matter of fact, we're, we're directing people to not only recommend that it's unchanged, but we want it to be removed from further consideration. Take it out of the amendment. Uh, issue number two should be removed. There's, there's no, as I said, we support the best available science, but there is no reason, there's no science that tells us something that's better. So in the absence of that, 1995 is a pretty good year. And anything else that they pick that's lower than 1995, that should throw up a red flag for everyone. So did I miss anything there, bud? I mean, we talk about this enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I think you nailed it. I think it's you know it's it's a pretty scary um, you know proposition for 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 folks who want to see the fishery come back to where it was in the late '90s and early 2000s. And uh, you know, I think you're right on. Um, and I do think you know at the same time as we think about kind of the the threats before we get into some of the opportunities in this amendment, I think the other big one we want to make sure folks are aware of is issue five. Uh, this idea of regional management and uh, Tony, just, <laughs> well, given given your long 
history uh, with, with, with Maryland's striped bass management. I wonder if maybe you can spend a couple minutes kind of talking through uh, this idea of regional management and kind of some of the, you know, some of the challenges that this could present. I think that as we go through this podcast, folks are going to realize that like Willie's the smart person on this thing. And I'm kind of the, uh, I'm kind of the guy who just tells it like it is. So uh, when Willie kicks I just, it over, I just know what I just know when to keep my mouth shut. And when, I, <laughs> when, when Willie kicks it over to me, it's time to tell it like it is. So here, here's like you know you have those aha moments, and we can we can drill down and we can talk nerd with anyone, and we can you know we can tangle with the scientists, and then we know how to talk their talk. But we're talking to y'all now, so so here it is. If they can't manage one stock, which they're not doing very well, how in the hell are they going to manage two stocks or even three? So basically, you have these producer areas, right? Delaware Bay, Chesapeake Bay. And they're claiming that they want regional management. How does this make any sense? Our juvenile fish in Maryland become the coastal stock. They... <laughs> And, and even though they're genetically different than the fish in the Delaware Bay, they all mix together in the ocean. It's not a regional fishery. We're a nursery, okay? We're a nursery, and it's our responsibility in Maryland to keep the stock healthy and let enough of these fish recruit to the adult stock so more babies will be born. I mean, it's really not that hard to understand. If we let enough young fish live... They become the coastal stock. They come back here in the spring and spawn, and then we have enough juvenile fish to catch, and then you and and the coast has enough adult fish to catch. And, and I just want to, yeah, yeah, I just want to jump in, Tony, real quick, and just you know explain that you know we've got several different spawning stocks along the coast, as, as Tony mentioned, and you know in an ideal world we'd be managing each one individually, right? We'd say, okay, these are all Hudson River fish, these are Chesapeake Bay fish. You know, you would catch a fish in New Jersey, and it would have a little you know a little label on it to, to tell you where it came from, and we could really manage it at a stock level, which would be ideal because that way you would you know, you would know exactly what impact you, you're having. I mean, if you have all of these populations, it, it, again, just like how you have that recruitment variability uh, within a given estuary, you can have that recruitment variability across estuaries. We want to keep, you know, we want to keep them all healthy. Uh, the bottom line is, you know, right now, the, um, you know, the science isn't there yet. And the, the PID is very clear about that. You know, it, it, the, the model has yet not yet been developed to create, you know, separate, separate reference points for these different areas. So, uh, yeah. Willie, listen, let's, you know, just in the interest of, in the interest of time, I want to, I want to kind of let the folks know, like huge red flags and stuff that they could incorporate into their document. Um, their their comments on this. And I want to just talk about the fact that some language appeared in the PID that shocked me. And, and you know, when I, when I told Willie about this, he drilled down, called a whole bunch of his science friends, had exhausting conversations with them. And, uh, and let's, let's get into that comment. So on page 12 of the public information document, it is in black and white that the Chesapeake Bay striped bass fishery is heavily male skewed. And the statement is there to justify higher fishing mortality, which means, you know, harvesting fish. That's that's science talk F for harvesting fish, fishing mortality. 
So there's so striped bass are measured on the SSB, which is spawning age females. So basically, males don't count. And back in 2014, representatives from the Chesapeake Bay said, "Oh, there's this uh, Colenstein study from 1981 that says that most of the fish in the Chesapeake Bay are males because the females leave early." Well, since that study, it has been refuted by three other studies that included acoustic telemetry studies. Um, you know, the science has been improved. Now, to make matters worse, Maryland DNR does uh, a gillnet study where they sex the fish. They can determine whether they're male or female, and they do it in the spring during spawning season. So, you know, for all the guys listening, Every male fish that exists that's spawning age is sitting there waiting in these rivers at the top of the bay for the female, those four waves of females to come in. So if you do a study where you're looking at the, the sex distribution, if it's male or female, in the spring while males are waiting to spawn, I'm going to guess you're going to get a high population of males when the females come in in a wave. So this is all flawed, and it, and it really it kind of upsets us when the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission produces a document with science that is, what, 40 years old, 41 years old, that has been refuted multiple times just so they can harvest more. And, and that frankly, that should upset you guys, too, who are listening, because they're using science that has been debunked to kill more fish. So they don't become part of the coastal stock and you'll never see them. There is there what uh, Dr. Secor found in 2020 is that males and, and he's he's sticking. He is doing minor surgery on these fish, sticking these acoustic tags in them. And when they swim by a buoy, they ping. So we know where the fish go. So Dr. Secor did this study in 2020 and it determined that males and females depart the Chesapeake Bay at sizes over 80 centimeters. Okay. So you have a Maryland adult spawning stock survey that captures males. And we've already kind of debunked that because it's the, they're, they're capturing them because of spawning behavior, it, but it doesn't reflect the sex composition of the Chesapeake Bay. So, you know, our message to the striped bass management board is refrain from continuing to say, to, to include science that has been debunked in your documents because frankly it's embarrassing it's embarrassing it's embarrassing you should not be doing this it's misleading the public and it should be it should be struck from this document and if they want to keep it in there we're just going to keep pounding at home that their documents are flawed so um willie anything to add to that I mean, I don't think so, Tony. I think again, you know, the if you have evidence to support the claim, that's that's fine, and we'd be interested to see it. We've been trying to find evidence to support it, and really haven't seen anything. 
Um, but, you know, again, these are comments that are in what's supposed to be an unbiased document. Um, and there are other kind of editorial comments throughout the PID that are misleading in, in a similar way. And those are concerning. You know, this document is supposed to be laying out the, the situation in an objective way for folks to be able to form their own opinions. And so I think it's a it's a disservice to the, to, to the fishery and to striped bass when when that object when that objectivity is not is not here. So definitely something that, you know, we've been we've been noting throughout this document and um, are continuing to drill down on. So, you know, with that, Tony, I'm wondering uh, if we should maybe point, you know, we've talked about some of these elements that we really think have no place in this amendment, um, because again, of what we want out of the fishery as well as where the science is. Uh, but maybe it's worth spending a little bit of time talking about where we see some opportunities and some places to really improve the management of striped bass. And I think a good one to start with, you know, you you alluded to uh, alluded to it earlier, is uh, conservation equivalency. So let's uh, <laughs> so let's uh, let's spend a couple minutes talking about. Uh, what you know? What what's potentially up um, for conversation in the PID here? Uh, thanks for teeing that up. So let me let me try to give this to you as accurately as possible in in normal human speak. So when regulations are set forth, when when recommendations are set forth for like a size limit, a creel limit, whatever for striped bass. I think we'd all really like it if they were coastwide, but you'll note that some states kind of have different regulations than others. And, and if that makes you scratch your head and wonder what's going on, that's conservation equivalency. So in the last go round where we went to the slot limit, we weren't for the slot limit because there can never be a true slot limit as long as we have conservation equivalency. The basis of this is we needed to take an 18% reduction uh, in striped bass harvest to lower the F, the fishing mortality. Uh, so that 18% reduction came about in the slot limit. That met the reduction. Some states said, we don't like the slot limit, and they came up with their own regulations, and then the technical committee at the commission runs those numbers. And if those numbers meet the 18% reduction, then those regulations are fine for that state. So conservation equivalency is being abused. In the case of Maryland, uh, they closed down the catch and release fishery in April to basically give uh, the charter fleet, the ability to kill two fish while the, while the rest of the recreational sector went to one fish and a, and a catch and release closure in April, they used numbers from MRIP, which is the recreational data collection program that shows our harvest rates. They used, uh, numbers from MRIP that had, uh, a percent standard error of over 50% in some cases. MRIP is a very good tool to show you coastwide harvest um, over the course of a year. It becomes less accurate as you drill down further. So when you say how many fish were released in Maryland in April of one year, it becomes wildly inaccurate. And, and they were allowed to use these numbers that had, again, a standard error of over 40%, at least some of them over 50%. Uh, 
and and they monkeyed with the numbers. You know, um, Mark Twain said, "There's lies, damn lies, and statistics." And and your tax dollars were spent uh, with people at Maryland DNR perusing those numbers, using numbers that were bad, and coming up with a conservation equivalency program that there's. N- I have I have strong doubts that we met our percent reduction, but we'll never know because COVID, uh, the, the pandemic has, has also messed up the data collection process. So that's just one example of conservation equivalency, uh, being used to get, gain the system, to, to get around reductions. Um, and, and it's a huge problem. Um, I, I guess our position on conservation equivalency is we would love to see the whole thing go away. We would love to see coastwide regulations and consistency uh, throughout the states with its flexibility that we don't need in management. Okay. But at the very least, at the very least, uh, it should not be used when the stock is overfished. And if a state chooses to use conservation equivalency, they should be held accountable if they overfish. Um, they should have to pay that poundage overage back in the next year. And and it's that lack of accountability at the commission where people can just play the system, rig the system, overfish, not meet their reductions. And there's no... There's no accountability, zero accountability. So when you have a commission that has zero accountability, no penalties for overfishing, and this goofy thing called conservation equivalency, where the bad states can can monkey with it, it, it how how can you win? How how can we can never have a stock uh, uh, a a, sl- a true slot limit? We can never really protect the big fish because you can kill them in Maryland on their spawning run. We can still we still we can still kill big fish. There's they're not safe. You know the whole concept is let's protect the breeders. Well, guess what? When they're coming up for their spawn and run, our guys are killing them. So um, we are not a fan of conservation equivalency. It would be a huge win, huge win for conservation if we could get rid of this thing. Um, we'd love to see it go away. If it can't go away, it should not be used while the stock is overfished. And if it is used, it got to be accountable. They got to be the states that use it have to be accountable and have to pay back for their overage the following year. And I'll just add to that, Tony. I think you know one thing with the accountability is you know some states that do use CE have have objected to that idea um, because you know you talked about MRIP and the and the uh, you know the imprecision of that data when you kind of drill down to, to specific states and seasons. Uh, and, you know, they don't want to use that data to kind of show how successful they were in adhering to, to, to the, you know, to the reduction of the conservation measures. But the reality is that MRIP data is what's used to set conservation equivalency in the first place. So you can't really use the same data set when it benefits you, but then not use that data set if it, if it hurts you. So I think there's a real issue of consistency here as well um, to make sure that that, that that information is being used appropriately. Um, the other piece here is that the, the PID talks about how, 
you know, changes in, in fish availability and, and angler behavior, um, you know, might mask the impacts of conservation equivalency and how successful it was. That's really no different than any fishery management program. Uh, you know, that that's that's a big piece of the uncertainty that we always deal with. And, you know, there are tools out there. There are, there are human dimensions, fisheries, you know, scientists who look at this uh, that, that could help inform those conversations. But that is not an issue that's unique to CE. It doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't mean that that folks shouldn't be held accountable for using these tools. So I think these are those are some of the points that we're trying to certainly highlight here in this conversation. And so with that, Tony, are there other things that, you know, other kind of potential opportunities that you foresee in the PID? I know we had talked about, you know, there's certainly, you know, issue 10, which is the other issues, which is kind of a place where we're trying to elevate some of our own priorities. Um, but wasn't sure if there were other issues that you wanted to mention here as well. Well, man. The, you know, in the interest of time, I'm, I'm almost thinking that there's probably going to be another podcast on this. I don't want to promise, uh, I don't promise anything, but you know, we, we know, we know our listeners only have so much time and this is a, a massive document. Um, I, I think, you know, we've covered the biological reference points. We've covered, uh, we've covered regional management and, and Willie, I think one of the other critical things that I'd like to have folks think about, um, is, is the stock rebuilding. Okay. And you brought it up, you know, when you, when you look at this amendment, they still have not addressed rebuilding the stock. The clock is ticking. It's supposed to be rebuilt in 10 years. And I guess our, our feeling is super simple on this. If you look at the history of striped bass, in 1985, we decided that ASMFC decided to protect the 1982 year class to make sure that 97% of them spawned you know, before they were harvested. By 1995, there was like a 300% increase. And don't, I, I, I'm 97% sure on that number, but there was a, a massive increase in the spawning stock biomass that was found on the Susquehanna Flats. So we are not at moratorium levels. If, if you look at the charts, there weren't hardly any striped bass in 1985. And if we were able to rebound and I have a 300% increase in 10 years, why the hell can't we do it now? What, what, what is stopping us now? Because let me tell you something. In 1985, the water quality was a lot worse in the Chesapeake Bay than it is now. It's not great now, but it was a hell of a lot better than it was in 1985. Okay? You can, you can go on U.S. Geological Services and look at the, the river flows of the Susquehanna. You, you can go back a long way. I think you can probably go back 20 years. And the trends, of, you know, they're not terribly different. There's nothing holding us back. Nothing holding us back from recovering this stock. And I think you may hear some frightening things from other folks. Like, you know, oh, well, you know, 10 years is okay. But what if environmental conditions, you know? don't allow for recovery. 
Well, show me one shred of science that says that. Show me. I'm looking for it. I've been looking for it for a while. The holding capacity of the Chesapeake Bay is diminished. We can't figure out what the holding capacity is for the Chesapeake Bay. Are you kidding me? I mean, let's talk about what science is capable. We have a hard enough time catching, uh, counting fish because it's not easy. This is not an exact science. This is not astrophysics. It's hard to count fish. It's really hard. They have fins. They swim around. The scientists are doing the best that they can. But to suggest broad things like the holding capacity of the Chesapeake Bay is diminished and use that as leverage to extend a rebuilding timeline or to lower the reference points, that's bullshit. I, I really don't know how else to say it. There's no science that supports this. What you have is a couple of bad players, bad states, who are looking. It's like conservation equivalency. They're just looking for any way they can to game the system. So as we believe in science, we're guided by science. Show me the science. You know, we were on the goal. I was on the goal implementation team, uh, the call, uh, and that is for the Chesapeake Bay. And they're at the very beginning very beginning of trying to look at things like holding capacity for the Chesapeake Bay. These are very smart people. Noah, uh, Noah folks, lifetime, lifetime scientists, people that we know and respect deeply. And, uh, and they're not there yet. And they'll tell you they're not there yet. So, you know, if you see comments that say that, man, red flags should go up. There is no reason. The, the water in the Chesapeake Bay was a sewer in 1985 a sewer. It is better now. It's not great, but it is it is way better now than it was. So if, if someone looks you in the eye and says the holding capacity is diminished, they have either been lied to or they are trying to lie to you and be very careful about that. We can rebuild these this stock in 10 years. No problem. There's nothing holding us back. And extending this timeline, you know, my son is 11. At best, he'll be in college by the time this is uh, these these fish are rebuilt, and I'm going to miss all that time with him. And it's very personal to me. Um, and 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 you look at this, you know, really broadly. And do you want to, you know, for you moms or dads out there that have kids and want to get them involved in fishing, do do you want to rebuild this as quickly as possible so you can maximize your time on the water and have great experiences? Or you want to hang out in overfished limbo for an extra five years because it didn't rain enough one year? It's absurd. You know, this is something that we have to be very careful about. Um, you know, we have to rebuild these fish in, in 10 years or less and the clock started ticking two years ago. So. And, and Tony, I think it's, you know, it's worth mentioning as well, just for folks who are curious, you know, Addendum 6 was initiated back in 2019. Uh, and that kind of, you know, the, the point of that was to stabilize, it's to end overfishing and kind of stabilize removals, right? So, you know, the idea there, again, was was to have this, this reduction in fishing mortality and kind of 
put the stock, you know, on a, on a path toward recovery, but there was no explicit rebuilding plan. Right. So we don't really have a sense of, you know, what kinds of trade-offs we might have to consider or what a timeline would be to consider here. So there's a lot of unanswered questions in that process. Uh, we want to see that incorporated as part of this amendment. We don't want to see it. Uh, we don't want to see that that can kick down the road any further. So definitely something that we're going to be harping on um, in our own comments on the PID. Uh, and so with that, Tony, I think we should just spend a, a couple minutes just letting folks know what's next. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the public comment period for for the PID is kind of just getting going. And this is really going to frame the discussion for what's going to be in this amendment as the process continues to unfold over the next uh, several months. So we're going to have public hearings from um, from March 8th, kicking off in New Hampshire. Uh, they're they're going to extend all the way to March 25th. That last one's going to be down in New Jersey. Um, so there's going to be opportunities for folks to, you know, express their public comment. Uh, we anticipate that it's going to might be difficult for everybody to make their comments there. Those are pretty, you know, these are two hour hearings for each state. And we expect that there's going to be uh, a lot of folks who are not going to be able to, to, to have their comments heard there. So uh, we also want to make sure that folks are aware about how to submit their comments, um, you know, via email, both to the uh, Stripe Bass Board, as well as to their individual commissioners. So we're working on um, basically creating a, a central hub for all this information on our website, saltwaterguidesassociation.org. Uh, we're going to have a blog there that shows you all of our positions on all of these topics in a letter to the ASMFC. We're going to have information about where you can submit your public comment, uh, both in written and in oral form. We're going to have a cheat sheet to demonstrate, again, you know what issues are on the table here and what we think are some of the major uh, some some of the major priorities for folks to consider here as well. So uh, there's a lot coming. This is a huge issue, as Tony said. Uh, we're here to help folks understand and digest all of this, and uh, hopefully we can make sure that you know the really scary stuff that's in this PID gets removed before the amendment process keeps chugging. Yeah, I think I think that pretty much covers it all. Um, you know, guys, it's so important that you comment on this. It's if you love striped bass, the the time is now to fight. Um, if you choose not to fight, you know, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, you certainly don't have any ground to complain about it. Um, you know, I know I understand the frustration. I've been doing this for twenty years. Uh, I, I get it. You know, you feel like your voice isn't heard. You feel like you don't matter. Um, we have to create a tsunami, a tidal wave of comments um, that just can't be ignored. So like Willie said, you know, hop over to our website. We're going to have uh, a, a kind of an easy to digest two pager. Um, and then we'll have, you know, a 4,000 word document that, that really does a deep dive. We'll have links to the actual public information document. We'll have a schedule so you can participate in the in the virtual public hearings. And again, that deadline is April 5th, and it's a lot to digest. I'm hopeful. Um, I love this community. I know uh, I know so many of y'all on a personal level, and I know you care. So, um, you know, I think we can do this. Uh, it's going to take everyone, though. It's going to take the whole village. So... Go to our website. Um, if you have any questions, you can always email us at info at saltwaterguidesassociation.org. Uh, and, and we can kind of try to help you. Our bandwidth is pretty tight right now. But 
this is why this is why we created the association for this fight. Um, there are flagship species, striped bass. Our guys depend on it. We want to keep our guys working. Uh, again, very personal stuff. You know, these are our friends. We know their kids. They've invested in boats. It's a business, right? It's a business, and they need a healthy resource. So we're going to try to rally the community. We need you to comment. We look forward to listening for y'all to listen to our next podcast. We appreciate you listening to the first one. And, uh, and you know, we're all in this together. And just in just a final note, folks, um, you know, certainly keep track of what we're saying on social media um, at Saltwater Guides Association on Instagram and also on our Facebook page. Uh, that is us behind the uh, the posts there. And we'll be keeping folks informed as to as to what's going on with the PID and Amendment 7 in general there. Uh, and just one one quick correction, Tony. I think the public comment deadline is uh, April 9th, not April. Oh, April 9th. So, I'm sorry. Yep. So I think uh, folks have a, a couple of extra days to, to extra get days. their thoughts in. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing a, a big outpouring of uh, of comment and, and concern about this PID. And, uh, you know, again, consider us a resource here to help guide you along the way. And, and thanks for listening to the guideposts, so the inaugural edition here. 